Your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. And hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the Trick or Treaters podcast. I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, JR. JR, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, as we're recording on Saturday, November 14th, the weather's changing as we're getting closer to Thanksgiving. So it's an interesting time, and uh, it's getting a little chilly outside. We had a little bit of a cold front here for a little bit, and now it's like 70 degrees today, so <laughs> it's a nice change. You, you do anything interesting this weekend? As I said, like we're recording on uh, Saturday, November 14th, things are starting to get back to normal for my life. You know, the month of October was crazy between, you know, being a big sports fan with the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball playoffs. Um, I was really, you know, my L.A. Dodgers finally broke a 32-year losing streak and not having a World Series, so... You know, it was a it was a big thing for me and my family. You know, my dad is a big baseball guy, so and obviously, you know, not getting not going into specific uh, politics, but you know, I was very involved in the election and you know, stayed up on all that. So I'm glad yeah. to start putting all that stuff behind us so we can get back to focusing on you know things that we love and you know, doing this podcast and watching horror movies is one of them. Tomorrow, my local theater, they have a very strict mask policy and like social distancing rules. So I plan on actually going to the movie theater for the first time in I can't tell you how long. And I'm going to go see Freaky. It's that new uh, a horror, I guess, maybe comedy, I guess you could say. It, it's like Freaky Friday, but it's with Vince Vaughn. Yeah, it's the one with Vince Vaughn. Yeah, I'm excited to finally get back to a theater. That's good to hear. The trailer made it look like fun, so I'm excited to go see that. Last night, I was on the uh, Scream Queens podcast along with Lane from the Lane Shift and uh, one of their friends, Hunter, and we all did the uh, rankings of the Friday the 13th franchise, and it was a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear it to see where um, – because one of the things is we talked about when we did our Friday the 13th episode is, you know, I always felt that the – you know, as each sequel came on, they became more entertaining to me, you know, with yeah. – um, you know, New Blood, Jason Takes Manhattan being like two of my ones that I enjoy more than probably um, than most people, especially even um, I mean, I really enjoyed five um, when Jason wasn't the killer. That was that was like another one where I was, you know, I love the twist of it. So it, I can't wait to hear that one. Yeah, it's available now. As soon as we finish recording, Jess immediately edited it real quick and put it right up so we could release it on Friday the 13th. Highly recommend checking it out. It's on the Screen Queens podcast. Before we get into review today, we have a couple of news topics we can talk about. Our news today is brought to you by our good friend Carmen Childers, who is our editor for the show. You can find him at CarmenChildersAVTech.com. You can buy merch from him or interested in hiring him for any of your AV Tech services. So the first news topic. So Norman Reedus 
He's producing a TV series adaptation of the 80s uh, slasher movie Sorority House Massacre. Uh, I'll have to check it out. I know I mean, I'm, I'm a big slasher person, so I'm interested to see how, how he ends up doing this. Yeah, and especially, I mean, one of the things is um, I know there's a few different Sorority House different films. Some of them are just yeah. called Sorority Row, Sorority House, and there's some that has some additional um, adjectives attached to it, so... Like I, I've always said, slasher slasher films have, are always my favorite part of the horror genre because of the reality aspect of it. So be interested yeah. to see that. Uh, Ryan Murphy, the creator of the American Horror Story series, he released a poster here recently for the spinoff series called American Horror Stories. And from what I've been looking at, it looks like it's going to be one hour episodes in the series. And I guess it's going to be one one big anthology. I'm excited to see how how it goes. I, I think most of the of the of the cast is returning as well. There's quite a few seasons I like, but it's like I've noticed a pattern where I'll like one season and I'll not like the other season, and then I'll like the next season, and so on and so on. Yeah, I never got into American Horror Story. I think probably because of the way that the the first season what the what was the premise of the beginning seasons. I did watch Coven, the Coven or Covenant. A coven, yeah. A and coven. Um, the, the reason being is, um, you know, I've seen like Emma Roberts was in there, Kathy Bates was in there, um, Angela Bassett, um, Sarah Paulson is another one. So, like, yeah. I had seen, so I kind of watched that one. I watched every season, and then I saw, I think I saw most of Freak Show. It just, it, it just wasn't my cup of tea, though. Like, I, you know, tried to stick with it, and I just was losing interest in it. I don't even think I even watched all of Freak Show, so I yeah. just, my um my interest level, and it just kind of started waning. But I know it's extremely popular. My sister, you know, she watched a lot of the first few seasons of it, um, you know, and I know a lot of, they have a big following, and I completely like the whole concept of anthology, series because that way you know you know you're no matter what happens you're going to have a beginning and the end for that story and i think that's really important because one of the things is when you see any new show when you get into it you kind of wonder what's going to be um you know is a show going to make it is there going to be a concluding chapter a concluding ending and that's always kind of tough you know which is the reason why for me when i start watching a show i'm like okay like is this going to be successful and am I going to get the ending, you know, that I want? And, you know, sometimes when I start watching a show, I get into it and then it's like, oh, it's going to be canceled. I'm like, oh, that this is bullshit. I say that often. It's like a lot of people either really love American Horror Story or some people just aren't really into it. It's, it's always either or with that series. I've always loved the premise of it. Like, I love how they have a different theme for each season, but the same actors are playing different characters each season. I've always thought that was real neat. Mm-hmm. So in another news topic, Seth Rogen is producing a horror movie called Video Nasty for Lionsgate, and the premise of it is it centers on three teens who rent a cursed VHS tape, and they're pulled into an 80s slasher movie that threatens to trap them forever. Is this supposed to be a horror comedy or just straight horror? I'm not sure. Uh, It just said horror script. You didn't say horror comedy or anything. You know, I know when Get Out came out, you know, this is one we talk about a lot. I think Get Out as well as the 2018 Halloween film with that, um, with Jordan Peele with Get Out is like this guy, the guy from, you know, Key and Peele, like how the hell is he going to do horror? Yeah. You know, that thing got, you know, insane 
amazing reviews and you know it was just really um was highly praised um with how great it was and then the same thing when we heard Diane McBride was going to be in 20 the, you know during the 2018 Halloween it's just like you know that guy you know I remember him from Pineapple Express and just really you know put out a phenomenal film so I think with some of you know some of these comedians who are you know get involved in horror as producers or directors or, or even writing you know, at the end of the day, they're not coming at it from a, you know, comedic standpoint. They're coming at it from a fan standpoint. You know, what do they like in horror? What do they like that made made them, you know, give them the scares? And that's where they're, you know, that's where they're coming from. They're able to use their credentials as being, you know, uh, you know, a praised comedian to be able to get their foot in the door. But once they're there, I mean, I just see them as basically um, one of us now, you know, and I really respect you know, a lot of the work they've done. And so Seth Rogen, you know, he was a funny guy and there's been a lot of good movies. And you know, because of predecessors like Jordan Pill and Daddy McBride, I definitely would give it a an, a look over and would want to see it. You know, it's 80 slashers, like I said, it's my cup of tea. Just the premise sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I remember like watching uh, Pill on Ken Pill and stuff, and then when it was announced you know, whenever he was, he, that he was going to do get out, uh, you know, I was skeptical at first. Cause I'm like, you know, a comedy guy doing a horror movie. I don't know how that's going to work. And then I loved it and everything else he's done. Uh, I've enjoyed. And so like Jordan Peele has been one that has uh, been like a breakout uh, director in horror to me. Like anything he does, uh, I'll check it out if his name's attached to it. And I mean, it's, if Seth Rogen's, you know, serious about if, if Seth Rogen is serious about this and has like a you know true passion for it and it's not just like a cash grab, I'm for checking. I, I'm all for checking it out. And anyone else who wants to, uh, you know, uh, to try their hand at horror if they're serious about it. One hundred percent. Yeah. And then last but not least, so here recently, uh, for those who don't know, there is a fan film that's coming out. I don't think it's coming out this year. I think it's coming out next year, maybe entitled Roseblood. It's a Friday the 13th fan film, and it's a direct sequel to Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, which everybody knows is, is my favorite. And uh, here recently, it just got announced the other day that, that Har Park Lincoln is going to be reprising her role as Tina in the movie. And I am so excited about that. A movie's funded through Indiegogo. It's already been funded, but there's still a couple days left. Uh, If you visit the Indiegogo, you can still donate some money towards it. And right now, one of the perks they have, they just announced, uh, I think think it's for $50, you can get a signed 8x10 of Laura Park Lincoln uh, from the movie. And here uh, the other day, uh, well, yesterday, actually, the creators behind our podcast network on their YouTube, on the Slashing Cast YouTube, that they have an interview with Larpreg linking up that, that they just uploaded yesterday that everyone should check out. It's really good. That's great to hear because one of the things, like, you know, you and I have talked, uh, I know we mentioned is that there's an issue with creating, you know, new sequels for Friday 13th and one doing these fan films. I think this is the third one that I know of um, based on what you have told me about that there's a lot of you know traction behind it and there's a lot of fan support for these things to be made that's all the news i have i don't know if you have any news no i do not at this time okay well without further ado we're going to get into it today talking about the 1990 movie tremors starring kevin bacon said this number of times you know i'm more of a slasher guy like when it comes to horror uh, i'm not 
I'm not really too big on like creature horror, but this this has been a movie that's always that I've always loved. It's in in my opinion, it's like B it's like B horror movie gold. You know, one of the things before I get into the review, I'm gonna you know kind of go over the background, but this is a film that I watched quite a bit in the '90s with my brother, and I always kind of felt the the chemistry between the two main characters we have who is Kevin Bacon in the film that plays Valentine McKee and Fred Ward who plays Earl Bassett, you know, they were basically like brothers and they reminded me of me and my brother. And a, a lot of the things, a lot of the lines that they say in the movie, um, some of the interaction they have with each other to this day, I still use some of that with my own brother. Like one of the jokes that I have is they start talking um Fred Ward in the film, Earl starts telling Valentine that he never has a plan. And he goes, here it is Monday. And now we're thinking about Wednesday. And that line, I, mean, I tell my brother that all the time. I'm like, here it is, you know, November. And I'm already thinking about, you know, December 2022, you know, long-term planning. It's just a joke that we have, an inside joke we have between each other. But it's, there's just a lot of funny interactions. To me, this is a, a very big character-driven film. It's the characters that make the film the success that, that it is, in my opinion, and so um, it's one of the ones where if you have time, you know, it's a it's a total of 96 minute film it, and, you know, you don't want it, especially if you have younger kids and, you know, you're trying to introduce them, I think, to like a potential, you know, horror genre. I think it's the perfect one because it's not overly it's not scary. You know, there's a small there's a few jump scares, but even the jump scares are not that bad. And it builds up to the jump scares like there's certain aspects of the film as we'll go through uh, going throughout the narration of the film that it builds up to when we get to the monsters. This is a movie I grew up watching a lot. It was always on TV and it, it, it's just, it's such a fun film. It's really such a fun film to watch. Uh, but before we get into the review, there's a, a, a couple of interesting tidbits about the making of the movie. So the entire like set, there was only two in, interior sets during the entire movie. You know, it takes place in the fictional town called Perfection, Perfection Nevada. There is no such thing as Perfection Nevada. Um, where this is shot is in California. It's called Inyo County. It is between um, Inyo County is in the middle of the Sequoia National Forest at the south end of it and the border of Nevada. Um, and it was shot over three different cities in Inyo County. They're all very desolate areas. Uh, it's Lone, Lone Pine, California, Darwin, California. And then the set was built in um, Olancha, California. The mountains that we see is uh, the Sierra Nevadas. And so that's where um, this area that I looked into in Lone Pine, there's actually been some different um, it's known for for different films. I want to say I'm probably going to screw it up, but I want to say parts of Godzilla was filmed here. But I but I feel like I'm messing that up. I was doing some research on it, but I know that in I see it shows the two episodes of Twilight Zone was shot here. They had shot um oh excuse me yeah I don't know where I got Twilight I don't know where I got um Godzilla they had sh- filmed some scenes from the first Iron Man here. No, okay. uh, I think it was a part of the desert in the beginning yeah. part is when they when they shot it there. Yeah, I was thinking that too. That I was like, hey, this looks. Uh, we rewatched. I was like, this looks familiar to me, and I I think it was Iron Man that I recognized it from. 
it's uh, such a it's a weird area uh to like to get there from where like where i live i live pretty much um where this is i live um south oh excuse me southwest of this area but in, because of how like the mountain ranges and the freeways i literally if i wanted to visit this area i would literally have to make like a j like uh you know starting instead of going you know where you curve from the top curving you know down and up i would go the opposite where i would go down and then back up and so like in the los angeles area it's you know it's kind of something similar where it's because of the mountain ranges and the freeways it's it's a very it's an isolated area um you know going from los angeles to let's say vegas there's a part where you would essentially instead of continuing east uh northeast you'd go northwest to get to there it's also part of like the death valley national park so it's in it's in a very unique uh and in the film uh Bert talks about is geographic isolation this is a very geographically isolation geographically isolated area in general that's the real part and that's i think why it was a perfect uh setting for the fictional town of perfection nevada yeah uh i love that the town uh, is supposed to have a population of 14 but there's 15 people in the movie this was uh the first film directed by ron underwood as well kevin bacon has went in interviews and said this was the most fun he's ever had filming a movie that's just a couple little interesting fun things to talk about before the movie without waiting any longer i know jr is excited to talk about trimmers uh we're gonna get right into it perfection a scorched outpost in the middle of nowhere. You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? How close? Maybe that's why Val and Earl decided to leave town. Hey, hold up. That's Edgar Deans. They just picked the wrong day to do it. Jeez. You guys better get the hell out of here. There's a killer on the loose. Could be doing it. Is that a snake? I'll give you boys five dollars for this. Twenty. That's how they get you. They're under the ground. What the hell are those things? How could they eat a whole station wagon? But where do they come from? I vote for outer space. No way these are local boys. You see, they're headed right for us. No Richter scale can measure it. They're coming! No scientist can explain it. Bert, they're under the ground! You didn't get penetration even with the alpha gun. Run, run! And no one knows what to call it. Megaworms or suckers or, or suckoids. Now, this valley is just one long smorgasbord. Now, it's up to Val and Earl to save the world. That's one big mother. Who died and made you Einstein? And they know just what to do. Flip for it. Damn. Kevin Bacon. Fred Ward. Tremors. So, Tremors was released on January 19th, 1990, uh, directed by Ron Underwood and produced by S.S. Wilson, Brent Maddock, and Gail Ann Hurd. It was written by S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock. It had a budget of $11 million, and it had a worldwide gross of $16,667,084. So 
so one of the things is before we get into the film i want to talk about this this film it, when it was in 1990 it was praised for being highly diverse um there's only 17 total characters in this film but it really focuses on 10 and with that 10 you have um the, the, these are the men you have kevin bacon who as at the time he was he was in the first um, Friday the 13th film. He was in Animal House. He, you know, famous for Footloose. Then we also had Fred Ward, who at this time I was going through his um, biography and I didn't see anything that really stood out. But he was he had already been in at least 20 different films from 1973 until this film came out. You had um, Rhonda Lebeck, who is played by Finn Carter. This was her second um, her second film that she did. She didn't really have a big career in Hollywood. In fact, she only had a total of five films. Um, she was given the Saturn Award. So these are like the three main characters, two men and two women. You also have supporting characters of Mike, Michael Gross, who had been in a few different films, uh, mostly TV films before this. Um, he plays Burt Gummer along with his wife, who... Uh, um, is played by Reba, Reba McIntyre. Reba McIntyre had never been in a film before this. This was her film debut, and she was a very successful country singer um, even before this. She had did four of her records, uh, went number one in the U.S. country music charts um, before this film, and she had a few other, I think another four or five um, albums that were that charted as well um, prior to 1990. You also have... Um, and the Walter, Walter Chang, who's in this film, played by Victor Wong, you would potentially see him in another horror film before this that's directed by John Carpenter called The Prince of Darkness. And you also have um, Tony Gennaro, who is, plays Miguel. Miguel is Hispanic. He was born in Mexico. So with this, you have and you also have um, you have Nancy. And Mindy, who's a mother-daughter, as well as ne- uh, Nestor and Melvin. So these are these are your main characters of this film. So with that said, you have um, four women, and then you have six men. And of that six men, you have an individual who is Mexican, and you have an individual who is comes from Asian descent. I want to say he's from uh, I want to say he was Chinese American. Uh, who uh, Victor Wong is. So he, you have, that's, you know, especially for 1990 and you see it in the horror genre, you really never, you really didn't see a lot of um, different diverse um, individuals, especially on the small, like a total of 10, uh, I would say supporting characters to major characters. That was one of the really things that I, I thought that was really important with this film was the sense of diversity. It's, so the film starts off and with um, Val and Earl, they're uh, handyman in Perfection Nevada. And they do everything from uh, putting up fences to draining septic tanks to um, moving garbage. So they are the handyman of the town. And there comes a time as they're going through through this film, they run into Rhonda, who Rhonda LeBeck is a student at the local university who's uh, she's doing seismology. As we get to the film and this film kind of starts, 
you know, it's a, I think it's paced well, but it's also paced kind of exceeding, exceedingly faster than normal because you're getting a chance to meet everybody as well as we're getting to what's going on with these um, abnormal uh, seismology charts. There's a situation where uh, Val and Earl just finally get tired of being in perfection of that, and they're going to move out and go to another town, which I don't know if this town's for real, but it's called Bixby, Nevada. And so as they're leaving, they see an individual on top of a electrical tower. So they they recognize who it is. His name's Edgar Deems. So they go and end up, you know, climbing up the electric tower, bring him down. And Edgar is dead and has a uh, shotgun in his hand. So they call the local doctor and to check up on him to see, like, you know, how did he die? And he died of dehydration, which was weird because typically dehydration is a three or four day process for a person to die of dehydration. And so um, with with that said, um, as they come back into town, they're, you know, saying like they realize that, all right, you know, we're going to try to get out of here again. Well, then they run into a situation where they see um, an individual who uh, his, uh, his thing, his name is Old Fred. And they go see all of a sudden when they drive by his farm, there's a slaughter of his sheep. So they go looking for Old Fred to see what happened. And they find his howling ground and they pick it up and heads and Old Fred's head is sticking up out of the ground. And as they're going through this, they run into two tech workers who work um, who work on the transit, who work on the roads in the area. And they're telling them that there's somebody that's um, that somebody's like going around killing people as they're trying to leave. And you know the guys blow them off like they're crazy or lying. And all of a sudden we see a situation where they're using a jackhammer, and somehow the jack the jackhammer hits something. You see blood. And then all of a sudden there's massive uh, rock slide and it kills both of the uh, gentlemen who are working on the roads. In addition to that, it also blocks the only way in and out of town um, because as, as Earl and Val tell them the situation, they're heading back into perfection to warn everybody. As they get back into town, we see Walter, Miguel. They meet with also we see Heather, who's played by Reba McIntyre, and Burt Gummer who uh, tells them they need to get on, um, get out of the area and call for help. As they're heading back, they see the roads are blocked and they try to figure out what's going on and where these guys are because now that the roads are blocked. But with that being said, as they try to back up, something happens and the trunk, their truck is hooked up. And with that, when that happens, you know, essentially, you know, Earl's yelling at Val and, and they finally get away and get snagged out. And with that, as they head back into town and they, they question like what happened, you know, what's going on. And one the little girl who's played by her name is Mindy says, look, and tells her mom, look. And then you see at the bottom of the truck, something that looks like a snake. And they're starting to figure out like what's going on. And, you know, could this thing be the thing responsible for killing everybody? They end up creating a plan where for Val and Earl to use Walter's uh, riding horses to ride out of town to get help for the next day. So they mount up and they're ready to head out. And one of the things we see with Burl and he- Bert and Heather, they're essentially like doomsday preppers. They live in an area that's, um, they have 
almost every single different type of firearm that you can possibly imagine in this in this vicinity um, with them. And they end up giving them some fire weapons as they climb up to get out of the area and they run as they uh, get through the the dirt areas. One of their horses is snagged by this snake looking creature. It's at this point that we finally see the ground move and we run into this giant well looking creature that we eventually come to know come to known as a graboid. And they get into a situation where the graboid um, starts chasing them and they're going to hit into essentially looks like an empty aqueduct. And that's Val and Earl jump over uh, one side of this concrete barrier to the opposite side. The graboid h- hits himself on the concrete ba- barrier, essentially knocking himself out and killing him. They run into Rhonda LeBec, who's the seismologist student, and she asks what's and she sees them and they see what she sees what's going on. They ended up digging up the graboid and seeing that it's approximately about 30 feet wide and that lives on the ground. And and it uses these kind of um, these I call it they look like thorns around their body to help them like get through and dig through the grass. It's at this point where Rhonda starts looking at her seismographs and realizes that there is three other graboids in the area. And in fact, one of the graboids traps them on a boulder as they're. overnight and they end up sleeping the night on this boulder and using the next day when they wake up they end up using poles that like that they find on the side of the boulder to kind of pull both their way from one boulder to another boulder to get into Rhonda's truck to get back into town and as they get back into town they end up telling you know everybody what it is and try to explain the situation and we see that the graboids follow them into town and it essentially becomes the town versus the graboids as this is happening. And they end up having to try to figure out what can they do to survive during this, during this time. And when the graboids actually ends up um, after hearing a old freezer go off, he ends up uh, coming through the boards and killing the owner of this um, general store, Walter. And everybody ends up getting on top of the roofs because that's the only way to stay away from stay away from the graboids. As we move forward to the story, um, we see that Bert and Heather end up coming back into town or coming to their, their property and they have a basement where they keep all their firearms. The graboids hears them, uh, hears noise that they're making and goes after them. And Kevin Bacon's character, Val and Earl, they start radioing Bert and Tun and what's going on and tell them to get ready because the graboid's coming. The graboid breaks through his basement. And one of the craziest scenes, they literally pull, I mean, all the big weapons they have that's on their board, on their wall to kill the graboid. They're using revolvers, they're using uh, shotguns, they're using rifles, they are using, um, they're using flare guns. I mean, everything you can potentially (laughs) imagine that a doomsday prepper may have. They're using it. And the final kill comes where Bert pulls his elephant gun off the wall um, out of a um, a glass case. And that's what uses it to, to kill the graboids is that is the elephant gun. Yeah, that, man, that was insane. They they went all out on that graboid. They was just using everything they could to stop it. 
the most important thing is to this whole process of trying to figure out a way to get out of town because the roads are blocked out and they're hoping that Bert and Heather can help them. Well, as with, we see through the film, the Graboids are getting smarter and smarter and the Graboids, what they do, they're starting to tear, tear the, um, the buildings out from the bottom and they somehow, which this part I kind of didn't understand, but it also, it helps with the story standpoint. Um, ends up, you know, ripping apart the bottom of Bert and Heather's um, Bronco so they can't, you know, leave. And as they're trying to figure out, as uh, Val and Earl are trying to figure out how to get out of this, they come up with the idea to use a tractor as well as a, um, it's a, it's basically like a, a pit that is on wheels that they hook up to the tractor to um and when i say tractor i actually mean like a giant you know cat something that you would see on the side of a you know the side of a a street where they're like you know laying down you know pavement or something like that we're talking about like a 10 10 15 20 ton piece of, of equipment not not a little you know tractor that you'd probably see at somebody's house and they pack up everybody in here um on top of the trailer and as we're as this happens, um, they end up going to pick up Bert and Heather. Now there's two graboids left in this whole after this because they killed the first one. Um, Val and Earl did when it hits up on the concrete. The second one, Bert and Heather killed as they broke into the basement. So there's two left that they're trying to outrun. And what ends up happening is they get to a situation as they're trying to get to the mountains. The graboids set a trap and end up digging out the dirt. So when the tractor runs into the dirt, it completely bottoms out and it's stuck. And um, Bert and Heather end up making these homemade pipe bombs to scare off the graboids so they can make a run for the boulders. And then once they get to the boulders, they realize that they're stuck and they got to find a way to um, kill the graboids or else, you know, they're going to die of, of hunger and, and dehydration. And what they do is they use the a, a rope as well as the pipe bombs to try to basically go fishing for a graboid by making noise. The first graboid eats the pipe bomb and completely blows up and kills it. So now there's one left. Then they do the same strategy for the second, the final graboid. But what happens is the graboid spits it back up and ends up going back into the boulders. So everybody has to scatter. And not only does the Graboid still alive, but the, by spinning up the pipe bomb, it actually lands on other pipe bombs and destroys those. And there's only one pipe bomb left that Val had in his hands. So Val, Earl, and Rhonda are trying to figure out how, you know, they're going to be able to survive through this situation to either get back to the rocks or kill this Graboid. And one of the things that they realized uh, with the using the pipe bombs is as graboids, they hunt by sound and movement, but too much of it can hurt them. So what Val does, he also makes a run for the heels and uses the last pipe bomb to essentially scare the graboid to go through a stampede. And it goes through the hill and goes flying um, and when I say hill, like it's, you know, they're standing on top where their eyes on top of a hill and the graboids underneath. But as a graboid goes flying through the dirt, it's now going into essentially a canyon 
and, and do we see the last graboid die as it flies through the canyon and lands on rocks? And all the graboids are killed. We fast track to the next day and Val and Earl are looking to take off and um, Rhonda lets them know that they're bringing authorities to do investigations, see what else is going on with these graboids that there's potential anymore. And at the very end of it, uh, Earl tells Val to pursue a relationship with Rhonda and we see Rhonda and Val kiss at the end and that's how the movie's finished yeah uh, the plan Val had was it, it could have went so wrong like I mean he, he he overthrew the pipe but you know if he wouldn't have jumped out of the way he would have been off that cliff oh yeah I mean the thing is like it's one of those you know everything they did was timing with this yeah. so I mean he timed it perfectly and the whole concept of a stampede was is brilliant because you know I've been on animal farms before and everything from I mean pigs goats sheep and as you get bigger with cows and bulls i mean if they all can do some form of a stampede so yeah. that concept isn't out of the realm possibility you know like as i went through it you know i realized it's a very fast-paced film but mm-hmm. everything's done everything done is intentionally so from the first step as it sets up with the death of edgar and then the next one, which, you know, as I said, you know, it's great to watch with your family because his death, you know, in the film, you don't nothing kill. You don't see anything that kills him. And then the second death, which is old Fred, you see him being taken under the ground, but you don't see him actually dying. And actually, as I wanted, I actually skipped through a death because the next set of death is the um, the doctor who checked um, Edgar him and his wife the next one to die his uh the doctor dies by getting sucked into the ground and we actually see a live a live tentacle from the graboid come up and the wife runs into a their station wagon and the graboid ends up pulling the station wagon under the ground because he hears the radio go off that's the next that's the next uh, death we see for those are the first four individuals that we see in the uh, leaving um in the beginning and it really isn't until Earl and uh, Val run into the graboid in the desert with the horses that we actually see what they're really facing, this massive, well-looking creature. And as I was doing some of the you know, research behind it, the writers, S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock, um, was, when they were working in the Navy as filmmakers in charge of creating videos, they had the idea by climbing on a large boulder and they ask themselves like, you know, what if there was something out there that um, would prevent us from getting off of these rocks? And they had the original, the, like the original title was called land sharks. And that was kind of where the concepts, but they knew they ended up working its way to something else. But that was like, the idea was something that was like a land shark where, you know, you wouldn't want to get onto the ground. Yeah, I love that they made the creatures develop intelligence, like, as the movie progressed, like, how they, how the Graboids figured out, well, they can just sink the buildings, and the people can't hide in them. Yeah, and as we get through, you know, this is the first of a series, you know, it is a franchise. Yeah. Um, The first, for me, the first two are by far the best. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not even close. The third one um the second one is called trimmers aftershocks it's based in mexico the third one is they go back to perfection um in the second film we know the only characters that come back is is only uh is bert and earl 
as we get to the third one, Bert is the only original character from the first one that comes through. And he's um, and he's there until the last one that came out, which was this year. And they have there's a total of seven with the fourth one being a prequel to the original. That said, I believe I, I want to say almost like 100 years backwards. Yeah. 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 There was one that just recently came out on Netflix called like Shrieker Island. Yes. And so as we see through the first, especially with the, the first three you start seeing um, this is their species and there's a process of what happens with the species of Graboids and how things work out. We see the species and how things work and there's like an, a cycle of Graboids. So, I mean, I don't want to get too far into it because um, I highly encourage other people at least to watch the first two and get a better understanding of how it works with the cycle. But it definitely... Um, it's a film where, like I said, the first, the series, especially the first three, it actually kind of explains the whole concept of Graboids because, you know, one of the things they had talked about was with the Graboids, you know, nobody saw this coming and, you know, we don't know these, this species. And they says, you know, they predate the fossil records. So without making like a million years old, even before, you know, dinosaurs. And they said, that's just not possible. But then you actually learn there's certain things about the Graboids that make it seem where it's possible. Yeah, I'm like you. The the first two are my favorite, and then like you know, you know, and, and not knocking anybody who likes the rest of them, you know, that's fine. But like, they sort of take a weird turn uh, later on in the series. But the, the first two will always be two that I can just sit and watch anytime. Yeah, the the second one, I for me maintains the the level of you know laughter as the first one is just when yeah. you get into the third one. Um, it just kind of goes off the rails and it's like I said, the third one isn't bad because they do have, you know, some interesting characters. And I forget in the third one, uh, Mindy and her mom, Nancy come back, you know, that's kind of important, you know, that helps with bringing back like the feeling of the original. Yeah. So some of the things I wanted to go like to talk about, you know, the cult, we talked about cult following. Like I kind of mentioned at the end of it, you know, this film had a $10 million budget made $60 million in the box office, which, you know, is not exactly great. But what made this film a success was the uh, the video market. The they, in video sales and rentals, it made over triple of what the box office did. So if I'm doing the math correctly in my head real quick. It made over 48 million dollars through VHS sales and rentals uh, against the 16 million dollar made at the box office, and that's what gave it this. Uh, a cult following and made it the success it was and um you know that's one of the hard things that we talked about and i brought up yesterday for a discussion for another day is with the decline and completely eradication of video stores you're not seeing films like this potentially on on the shelf for three four five to ten years you're you know because everything's to redbox and streaming and with redbox there's only so many movies they're allowed to have in those box and the machine and even though online you have an unlimited data set, but, you know, people are not really looking for films. They kind of know they kind of have an idea of what they want to watch. They don't see something on the shelf and be like, well, what's that about? Oh, let me look at that. You know, let me read the back. Oh, who's in it? It just doesn't happen as much. Another thing was this film originally was rated as rated R by the Major Motion Picture Association of America for um, not for violence, but for language. It had over 20 F-bombs. The producers did not want, they didn't feel like it would be rated R. So what they did was they ended up cutting out, I think there's only, there was one, one time I remember uh, Val, 
played by Kevin Bacon uses the F word. It's when the uh, graboid hits the concrete barrier and he says, you know, screams like F you. Um, but other other examples, like at the very end, when the graboid goes flying off into the canyon, he says uh, the original line was, can you fly, fucker? And he ends up getting in, you know, post-edited production gets changed to can you fly, sucker? They use the term, uh, one of the lines, when Bert tells uh, Val and Earl that they the one they killed in the basement, he says, we killed that motherfucker, and they changed it to Mother Humper. <laughs> And there's another there's another part that where Val says um, when he sees the dead sheep, it's supposed to be what the fuck, and then it gets changed to what the shit. Oh wow! So yeah, um, and that's one of the things like um, on a completely different film. This and this is like you know almost a decade later, one of our uh, one of our wrestling films that I don't know if you like, but in the film Ready to Rumble, uh, by you know it's based on WCW wrestling with David Arquette and Scott McCann. They talk about how this film was PG-13 and you're given like one F word. Like that's your limit. Like you get one and that's it. So you have to, if you're going to use it, you have to use it in the right, put the right spot. Because anything more than one or two, like you're essentially moving yourself to rated R rating. Now, because of, you know, standards are a lot different today. Um, I honestly don't know, you know, if that's still the same as it is when, when we were kids. I think it's still, it's still true today. I think you are allowed one I know at least one f bomb in a PG thirteen movie. Yes, and so um, we talked about the you know we were talking about where it was shot at um, th- this year for the twentieth uh, hold on no thirtieth anniversary they actually did a showing of the film in the original filming location which was you know before COVID hit that would have been something to see if you're a fan of this film uh, Michael Gross who plays Bert Gummer was there in Low Pine California for the celebration of Trimmers. The original score was changed because they because the uh, producers felt it was too like kind of too corny and too cheesy. They wanted it to kind of be a little bit more serious, especially in moments of danger. They didn't want it to be too campy. And I think the last thing was um, the town set took two months to build, and then the character of the graboids was designed by Omlegated Dynamics. The full scale graboid scene when they dug up that was dug up by Val was cast in lightweight foam. It was buried in a trench, and then it was dug up to achieve the desired effect they wanted. One thing I'll, I'll praise heavily on this movie, especially for it being a, a 1990 movie, the effects in this movie are done really well. Yeah, I mean, they do. I think with the way everything was done between the Graboid, um, I mean, in in real retrospect, you know, if you take the Graboid out, you know, obviously everything's set around there. But, I mean, this is just – this is a – kind of like a western film like it's set in a, a desolate area yeah it's people it's when the graboid comes in and i think the way it's done a certain it's done a certain way to help with the effects um so like if you look at certain things like you know when edgar's death has nothing to do with the graboid and the second part in the second death which is old fred his head is basically is you know is the only thing showing so basically you kind of could see um you know, it, I don't know if it, I'm assuming it's probably like a mannequin head or something like that with prosthetics. And the sheep you see, I mean, you're you're seeing essentially like you know fake blood and you know probably like fur. And even when the when we see the deaths of the the road workers, you actually there's you're only seeing um, their helmets or utility belts and like a little bit of what I'm assuming is like a prosthetic to make it look like a 
piece of the skull or piece of a skin and some fake and some blood. So everything's done a certain way to make it look kind of menacing, but not over the top where it could be too, you know, too unrealistic. Let's get some uh, final thoughts. Like I said when, when we started this, to me it's just like B horror movie gold to me. Like what you said uh, regarding cult film, like this is definitely one of, like, one of the better cult films. And even though I said like you know I'm more of a slasher guy, I'm not big on creature horror. This is one that I definitely praise a lot and and can and has a lot of replay value to me. And and you know just once again just. It, uh, it has some great great effects uh, you know I've, I've said before i'm i'm real big on on practical effects versus special effects i'd say if i was gonna give it a rating i'll give it four pop bombs out of five it's also like one of my favorite kevin bacon movies as well oh i mean yeah i think really um you know i started looking at some of his work i mean everybody knows him like he is you know synonymous for footloose i mean everybody remembers him from yeah in that film and when I look back at some what made him a character, um, one of my favorite films that completely ruined the whole concept of college, and that's another story from another day, was National Lampoon's Animal House. Yeah. Um, so when I start looking at how like his film progression, you know, it's kind of after, um, you know, after Falouse, and I think with the direction of of Trimmers, you start seeing his his world start taking a different, you know, turn, where he was kind of like a um, you know, jack of all trades. You know, he did, after this, he was in Fatliners. He did JFK. He was in A Few Good Men. He was in Apollo 13. So, um, you know, he did a lot of different films with different characters. I, I don't think he ever, like, broke a ceiling and being, like, an elite great actor. But I think he was, he would always be known for being a, you know, a go-to guy. Like, if you needed somebody to do a part, like, he could be a go-to guy and give you and do a good job at it. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and it's, you know, I started thinking of other things he did. Like, you know, he was an X-Men first class. He did a great job as Sebastian Shaw. Um, I look at, you know, he was in that TV show, The Following. Yeah, The Following, yeah. Yeah, like that was one that I, I look at some of the things I was like, I thought he did a great job in there. So, yeah, um, he's a, he did a great job. And he's, I think, like I said, it's just, he never, I don't think he was ever going to be considered in the realm of like guys like, let's say like Denzel Washington or um, like Harrison Ford. Yeah. But I, but I mean, he's like, you know, he's in like the level below where he's somebody you can count on. He's going to give you, do a good job. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Kevin Bacon movies uh, and like you, he said, he, he, uh, he's not someone that, you really got on the level of like Denzel Washington or, or, you know, people like that, uh, a really good, and it, it, it often gets overlooked. And it's in, in my opinion, uh, like a, a James Wan, a, a hidden gem there. Uh, Kevin Bacon has a really good action revenge movie. He stars in called death sentence that I would highly recommend. It's really, really good. Well, for me, I'm going to give it four and a half pie bombs. And the reason uh, why is mine is, you know, it has so much replay value. It's yeah. a very, for me, it's a very entertaining film, but it's also, like I mentioned, it's a character driven film. The characters yeah. of of Earl, Val, Rhonda, and Bert just make this film a different level. Like I can't, you know, and that's why as we get into the sequels, that's what loses its luster because you lose that chemistry that they have with one another and it just can't be replicated. Yeah, I agree with you. 
We hope everyone has enjoyed this review of Tremors, and uh, we just want to say thank you to everyone who's listened to us so far. Uh, this is episode 10. I know it's not a big milestone, but uh, I consider it a big milestone. We're 10 episodes into a, just a horror podcast that we decided to we decided that we wanted to do one day, and it's been an absolute blast. I know we always plug it. We're part of the Slashing Cast Podcast Network, and it has been absolutely amazing being part of that. There's just so many amazing shows. We've made so many great friends. JR's been on our friend Screen Queen show. Uh, I was just on it last night. I'm going to be on We Came Beneath the Sea uh, here uh, here in a few hours. And it's just it's an absolute blast uh, going to everybody's shows and just being a part of the network. Tune in next week uh, as we'll be reviewing. I'm pretty sure it's my favorite horror movie. It, it, you know, like when it comes to like picking favorite horror movies, it, it swaps back and forth uh, a lot, but uh, like it's definitely in my top five and, in my opinion, one of the best horror movies ever made. And that is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one because I I actually have not seen the original one. Oh, I've wow. seen a lot of the – yeah, I've seen a lot of the sequels. And yeah. I know part of the thing is, as everybody knows, if they listen to us, that I have an ass-backward you know, entrance to horror – um but man they're you know the horde the whole con the series of texas chainsaw massacre they got like 34 different timelines like it just takes some weird turns um it'd be interesting when i uh to sit down and watch it for the first time is gonna be interesting you know to try to block out all of that and just get to what made this film the the favorite that it is yeah and uh it's it's gonna be a fun one but i can't wait yeah, I, I can't wait either. Before we end this, we just want to give a shout out once again to our editor, uh, Carmen Childers. You can find him at CarmenChildersABTech.com and on Facebook. Uh, you can uh, like his page there. Once again, so grateful and thankful for everything he does for our show. And uh, we hope everybody will check him out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks for all the support so far. It's been amazing. And we just hope you continue to stick with us and check out our, our other friends as well. Well, with that being said, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, close this out uh we hope everyone has a great day continue to wear your mask and stay safe out there and with this we must uh, bid you adieu goodbye good night stay creepy bang